0: All right, hello and welcome to the Swing Smarter Monthly Newsletter, or aka we're moving into Swing Smarter Hitting Training Podcast. This is your host, Joey Myers from hittingperformancelab.com. And w- with me is take two. One of my dads, <laughs> uh, which we'll get into in a moment, is Kyle Harrington. So Kyle, first let me w- welcome you back to the show. Yeah, nice to you. <laughs> the last one, some dummy forgot to push the record button. Yeah, that, that was me. And that was me. And that was me for those that are listening and not watching (laughs) uh but i wanted to bring kyle on i like to bring my dads on Uh, number one uh his son steven i've worked with online training it was like one of the he was one of my first hitters which he makes me feel really old because he is now what going into his sophomore year of college
1: yeah Yeah,
0: sophomore (laughs) year probably makes you feel old too (laughs) oh i'm way old and he was what in junior high was it junior high when he when we when we first did that
2: that it was before that, actually. I think he was like 12 years old.
0: <laughs> oh, geez, make like, me even feel yeah. older. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. So I like to have my dads on. Number one, because they're in the fire, and there's a lot of dads out there listening and watching this that are working with their their sons and their daughters on this whole thing. And, and a lot of times you're left on your own. You're at your you're at your house, you're left to your own devices. And and for those out there who don't know Kyle, Kyle's got some golf background. So at least he had some some golfing knowledge that he can go into with with his son and many out there do not so i wanted to really dive in i know this was probably back and you can correct me if i'm wrong with steven i don't know if with xenolink and chris welch did you was that was he in high school when you guys went over there
2: um chris welch came to clark uh when steven was 12 okay and and did a bunch of kids and got on there uh got the data and then he did it when he was uh, 14, 17, and then this year twice.
0: Oh, so he did it again?
2: Yeah, two or three times.
0: Yeah. Cool. And, and maybe it's around the 14-year-old year. I think we we talked quite a bit about it. And at that time, we, we were all – I was teaching the, the deep barrel in the zone and getting the barrel in the zone super early. And yeah. one thing that you guys found, or Chris Welch found, you guys being there – was that Steven was accelerating his barrel early, yeah. which is what we were teaching at the time. But by the time he got to contact, it was slowing down. So talk a little right. bit about that whole, like, build that picture, that story. Yeah,
2: so ever, ever since he was tested on a 3D-type system, um, he, his barrels always decelerated between 8 and 10 miles an hour before impact. Hmm. And, from, and from what I found out for Chris is that that's pretty common, that a lot of hitters do that. Um, they have that and it's, it's not noticeable to the eye, but when it's done with, you know, a three camera system or um, another system that can pick up those small, that small amount of deceleration, um, it, it's really noticeable. You're actually slowing down into impact and just to get, just to get your speed moved forward requires you to, to, to swing correctly mm-hmm. and to put the speed in the right spot of your swing. So yeah, that's, he's, he's done that until just recently. He's moved his, he's kept his speed up till impact. Mm-hmm. Um, literally
0: nope. three weeks ago. Now, what, what are some of the things that you guys were doing to do that?
2: So Chris worked with him on the, um, the whole uh, sequencing, um, you know, the hips first, uh, the torso, um, the arms, and then the, the, um, the bat. So that sequence was not per it was not perfect at all and not even close and you would never know it because he on on k vest it would seem like it wasn't too bad mm-hmm. but on an optical system it it he was showing very high uh arm speed like ridiculously high arm speed with a bat speed that didn't translate to that arm speed hmm. so it it was he had sort of things messed up he was getting no bump from his hips to his torso Mm. like very little bump and because he was among other things rotating back too much so Mm. sometimes that feeling of winding up doesn't give you the right sequencing Mm -hmm. so you know guys don't wind up a lot but we I guess we can get into that if see what you found on that too yeah. Over winding up. Yeah.
0: So one, one thing that uh, those out there know hobby bias, right? I did a video analysis on him probably back summer 2020 or something about a year ago. And one thing I hadn't really looked at his swing that close. And when I slowed it down, I always thought before slowing it down that he was just really winding up. Like you're talking about really winding up when I slowed it down. What I saw was that same thing that's being taught. I think by even progressive hitting instructors is to turn the hips in. And I think most people got it from Ted Williams in the science of hitting was to basically take your, your belt buckle, hitter's belt buckle and turn that in towards the catcher. And that's part of your loading uh, phase. Now, the problem with that is, and, and I taught that way early until I started to look into spinal engine stuff is now what we do is we keep the hitter's pelvis in a, I guess, a quote-unquote neutral position. So I, ma- I tell my hitters to imagine there's a skewer going through both hip bones that is running parallel to the plate this way, and that they stay on that skewer all the way until pretty close to stride landing, and then that hit, that front hip can start pulling off if it needs to open up, right? So I think right. the problem with that over-rotating and, and the load, that turning of the belt buckle in at the load phase, so getting to that stride landing position, what has to happen if we're winding the spine up, like wringing a towel out, so we're pulling that front shoulder in and creating neck pressure. We call neck pressure here. Is if that those pelvis, if the pelvis keeps pulling in towards the catcher, belt buckle towards catcher, then this front shoulder has to keep moving. So when I looked at the Javi Baez, I was seeing him really turn. You know, they say when the pitcher shows you their back pocket, then you show the hitter shows the pitcher their back pocket right so i i think that's flawed because now what i have to do is my shoulders got to chase farther for a righty my right mm-hmm. my left shoulder's got to chase farther in order to create the same torque where instead keep the pelvis in the same neutral position and then now pull that front shoulder in as far as you can to where you're keeping the head on a tracking position because we're not letting the head pull off that's number one is tracking right The head has to anchor the sh- where how far the shoulder can go but what that does, by keeping the the pelvis in a in kind of a semi permanent position until landing, and the head in a tracking position, is now that shoulder is limited by how much it can create in the torque side of things. Is that something that you you've, you've yeah. noticed in the changes?
2: Yeah. So it's the it's the timing of the it's the timing of the stretch,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? So you can you can if the more you want to turn backwards. The, the slow the, when you go to a stride, you're not going to get the same amount of stretch as it if you start started saying so you the feeling is powerful winding up backwards, but it really what it does is it creates a lot of hip velocity that doesn't sync up with shoulder that doesn't help you create a springboard from your hips to your shoulders. Mm-hmm. So you're creating a velocity, but then you what happens is you go into a bracing. So you start bracing mm-hmm. with your stride to stop all this rotation in your body.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I mean? Like yep. it's, it's not like your stride then works its way up, and then you're sequentially gaining speeds. It's like you go into this bracing where you're just trying to get balance mm-hmm. and stop all this movement. Mm-hmm. But that that doesn't help you necessarily, like you're saying, gain gain speed up the up the chain. Right. You know, because it's sometimes the feeling is better to feel like. You're restrained almost and Mm -hmm. have no space. Mm -hmm. So like my son, to prove it, what he did was he would normally go on out on the baseball field, put, you know, get a tee, put some balls on the tee and hit him and try to hit him over the fence, try to hit him as far as he could hit him.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so he would put him to the pole side and he would wind up big and turn real big and hit it. And then, you know, see where it went. And then he started putting the ball up front, not winding up, not turning back and hitting the ball 20 25 feet further in the air. Mm-hmm. And that just, that totally convinced him mm-hmm. that that feeling of, of, of room and space wasn't necessarily the best thing for him,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know? So, and then he also said he had, a, he had, it took a lot longer to hit the ball winding up. Mm-hmm. So he, the more he wound up, the longer his swing was, mm-hmm. and, but he didn't gain any power. He actually didn't hit it as far. Right. So he's like, it's kind of like he blew his mind. Like, I don't have to do as much. I get more stretch and I hit the ball further. <laughs> Over, you know what I mean?
0: Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and what dawned on me, and this was probably three or four years ago, this is where just my mind was blown. Was one of my, I was working with one of my hitters, and I don't know if I've told you this story, but it was a January, it was cold, overcast here in California, and cold here is not cold, I know, over there, uh, the same cold, right? So cold to us, though. And we were working, and we were working on his middle in approach. And this is a hitter that's been with me since he was seven or eight years old. Now he's, I mean, you're talking, he was probably in junior high at the time, or maybe going into his freshman year. He's gonna be a senior this year in high school. And we we're working on middle in, and, and he does really well with the catapult loading system, showing his numbers down shoulder, you know, and all that stuff, uh, pinch in back here, and he just couldn't get to, he couldn't pull the trigger on the pitch in middle in. And he's like, Coach, am I showing my numbers too much? And at the time, I was like, No, I don't think so, Mikey. But let me let me go do some research and check it out. So I went on Twitter, went on Craig Hyatt's page, and he had a bunch of videos that were looping videos of major leaguers hitting homers. You know, January, February. This was the season prior uh, videos. And so we were. I was what I wanted to look at is I wanted to look at the hitters like the Miguel Cabreras, the the Mookie Betts, the uh, Mike Trout's, all these guys. What were they doing or not doing? when they were seeing 96 in, were they not showing their numbers as much? Were they showing them the same? Nothing was changing. If that's the case, then what, what was happening? What was different on 96 in versus 88 away or 85 away? And what I found was I'd look at both views. I'd look at the pitcher's view so you could see where the numbers are being shown. And then I would look at the same swing from the chess view. And what I found was that these hitters, Cabrera, Altuve, Betts, Trout, it wasn't that they were showing their numbers more or less it was when the barrel got into the zone so there was no change of how, how much they were torquing their their uh, thoracic spine their their t-spine it was when the barrel got in the zone so more away you saw the barrel get in the zone deeper but then your contact point was deeper right their contact right. point was deeper so the barrel path Some out there will say, well, get the barrel in the zone super early and then keep it on on the plane as as long as possible. But that's not what the best do. The best do not jump the barrel in the zone early, early in the zone like they're putting their barrel in front of the catcher's glove and then coming all the way to a 96-mile-an-hour fastball on the inner third of the plate and barreling it. That's not what they're doing. So what I found was what they were doing is that barrel, they were keeping it up, 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 up as they were turning, up, 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 up. And then they would come, what I say – imagine a catcher's glove in line with the hitter's belly button and they were knocking that catcher's glove off. So their barrel was entering the zone a lot later than early later. And then they were making contact more out in front, obviously for an inside pitch. So the, the twisting of it, the upper half twisting of it, we call neck pressure, down shoulder, all that stuff, the catapulting stuff. Um, it wasn't so much that, that I found was the issue of getting to the inside pitch. It was when the barrel entered the zone.
2: Right. Gotcha. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. That's,
1: uh,
2: yeah. We're, um, we're, tr- I've been really thinking a lot about, um, slot, how the bat gets on plane. And, and, you know, Chris, we had, a, I had a good conversation with Chris the other day. And he's, he's like, Kyle, you know, um, no matter what you do, you can't make the, you cannot make yourself slot by physically trying to slot better like some guys slot real early right and you know the, the the bats really laid back and and then other hitters are more tight mm-hmm. and they can't slot as well guys that are you know not as flexible
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um but you're right they definitely do the guys that uh inside pitch they're not slotting as early Mm-mm. they're i think when they recognize it's outside they can they can get it slotted earlier mm-hmm. and then go the other way with it yep but The interesting thing he was talking about was that you can't force the bat to lay back and you hear it like some of the best golf guys too, will be like, I used to think you could kind of try to get into positions, but the best players, their rotation takes care of the slotting.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. You know what I mean? The lag is created. Like it's like a pitcher. Can a pitcher make his arm lag more, Mm -hmm. but he can't. But if you, if you give him extra rotation, he can. Mm -hmm. So same Mm -hmm. thing. Like, the lag set up by that that rotation that you cannot you have to just let it go to where mm-hmm. it wants to go. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, I agree with you on that. That the guys are definitely on an inside pitch are not doing you know they're they're they know how to bring that point of contact out front on an inside pitch, mm-hmm. which they have to hit it out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree well,
0: with you. Well, think about Bonds, right? I mean that guy was un believe it, people don't give him a lot of a credit because of the whole PED scandal thing but the guy was I think I think I would give him more credit on his knowledge of hitting than than I would have 5 years ago for sure I think yeah. he knows more and we should be giving him credit for more than what people do when they cuz they just write him off oh he was a juicer he was an HD, right. you know HGH guy or whatever but what just remember it was San Francisco in his in his heyday we had the big old giant arm guard on mm-hmm. and Those balls are coming in at 97, 98, up and in, on his hands. And he was staying inside that ball. And inside, I have a different definition than than most on staying inside that ball, especially when it comes to this barrel path that we're talking about. But he used to keep that ball fair and hit it in the bay. Normal hitters would rotate to that ball. not Like we say, swing, we want to swing across our chest, not around our chest, right? He would swing across his chest. But what he was really good at is he was really good at manipulating the barrel and i think part of it was that he choked up to -hmm. to help him do this but he would i mean it was almost like he was this feel of swinging down like those that are watching this you know he had this feel of this right that's not exactly what he did in real in real speed i mean it was this way but his barrel stayed this way and you'll look at videos and it just stays flat to the ball that's up in the zone or inside in the zone and he was one of the best the best Mm mm-hmm
2: he, con- he conquered, he took away the pitchers, one of the pitchers' best pitches. Like, so when he, why he, the way he set up and the way he said, you're not going to beat me up in the zone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You're not going to beat him. You know, guys thought they could beat him up, and they all, they all got, you know, you gave him 10 at-bats, he was going to get you six times. <laughs> you cannot do that to him, and he knew that. Mm-hmm. So he took away that part of the game for most pitchers. And now he says, "What do you? What else do you got?" So <laughs> now you're going to come at you. Know, what are you going to come at me with that 75 mile an hour curveball? And <laughs> if it comes inside, I'm going to destroy it. So don't do that. So Bonds, he eliminated by having the swing that he had, by choking up, by not having necessarily long limbs and long body parts, mm-hmm. and getting kind of low. He made this strike zone where where can you throw it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was the genius of Bonds, and he does know a lot more about hitting than people. Um, you know, they think it's like more natural. He the guy's a smart guy mm-hmm. and his A Rod interview was incredible.
0: Yeah. That was very the one where he he loses Bonzer for a little bit on the phone and, and he's talking yeah. to him. <laughs> I yeah. mean he one of the, the best. The gold, the gold nugget, the biggest one I think in that interview. And I think I have that somewhere on my, on my hitting performance lab. If somebody just goes on hitting performance lab, goes search and just put Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, I think that it, it should come up. Uh, but one of the pieces of gold in that interview is when he was talking about, when Bonds was talking about with his dad, Bobby. And when they were, I don't know when this was in college or high school or just when he was younger, but his dad told him, said, you need to perfect your down swing. And this will ruffle a lot of feathers out right. there nowadays. Not, not quite as many as five years ago, because I think people are starting to get the idea, but Bobby told him, I want you to perfect your downswing. He said, it's easy to swing up, yep. but he said, when things are going bad, swinging up is the lazy person's way of getting in a slump. And he said, if you want to get out of the slump, you've got to perfect your downswing, which is right. what we saw in that up and in pit, those up and in pitches.
2: Absolutely, and when you're late, where where are 99% of the guys when they're late? They're under. Yeah. So he yeah. made sure he was never under when he was late. Yeah. So he didn't get – his hands didn't move vertically. Like, he didn't have this move coming down at the ball. Mm-hmm. He had, like you said, this move constantly. Mm-hmm. His hands were always – his hands were always high, and he always said in interviews – or a lot of times in interviews, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. And mm-hmm. you, that's from a guy that looked like he had fairly low hands. Yeah, yeah right but yep. he's said to keep them up because he knew the the value of, of just of not missing pitches mm-hmm. you know there's too many foul back, back balls guys go i just missed it but you don't know something it's really it's probably your swing you missed it
1: yeah, yeah. maybe you
2: should have got jammed and hit it over the first baseman's head yeah <laughs> right but you fouled it back
0: right so right no i agree and then you know, you have the that other camp out there that, that talks about that early supination, you know, get that get that barrel in the zone super early. And then they tie it's funny because when we talk about this high pitch, they say, Oh, we 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 train to hit the high pitch, we train that. We have a high T drill that we do. But if you watch the swing, you have a T, a ball in one spot, and then you got this early supination happening, snapping again. That early snap and early supination is good middle away, middle down. I'm not saying it's not good, but I'm telling you it's it's not good middle in and middle up because the hitter has to make a compensation, and most of the time for a lefty, you'd have to bend this front arm like a chicken wing in in order to get there, which is going to lower your ball exit speeds because we're shortening the lever. And the longer the lever, the more the force gets multiplied at the end of it. So there's a compensation that has to happen in order to jump that barrel in the zone early and get to that inside pitch. But on the high tee, when they snap early, that barrel's got to drop. It's got to drop. It doesn't stay up because that's the whole point of the snap and supination. So, what happens is, yeah, off a tee, I can hit that pitch up. But if you look at the angle of that barrel, it's like a Nike swoosh sign. If you can, uh, you know, picture it out there for those that aren't watching me, but it's like a Nike swoosh sign, but where the swoosh, the where it turns from the upper part down into the lower swoosh part is really, really low below the ball. And then it comes up and hits the ball. Mm. Well, there's a problem there if we're, if we want, lower strikeouts and we want a higher batting average which you know some can argue isn't as important in today's game but I I still think it is um but what we're talking about with bonds is that he stays more flat to that ball in right. so there's more margin for error
2: right and and you know what when you really think about the greatest hitters like the guys that hit for power and hit for average where did they finish their swings mm. a lot of them finished low yeah. because they were up and they still swung up enough at impact. on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm just saying that their hands were up high, higher, and then their finishes were a little bit lower than what you'd expect. Look mm-hmm. at, I mean, how did Mike Schmidt hit a baseball? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about where he finished. Yeah. But yet, look at all the home runs. Look at all the power. Mm-hmm. Mike Trout, low finisher.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'd say,
0: I'd say. Um, Ted Williams, uh, Ken Griffey Jr.?
2: Well, Ken Guruji a little higher, but yes, yes.
0: But he finished, you know, he had that down part. Right. He let end. go of the bat. Yeah. Um,
2: I'm thinking of other low. Uh, Mike Piazza
0: yeah. did not have a, uh,
2: you know, even though he held on to the bat, if you watch him hit high pitches, he doesn't finish high. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not coming up, uh, constantly coming up at the ball.
0: DiMaggio, so, Babe Ruth. I mean, if you go back, back.
2: Yeah. All so of them. A finish. lot of guys finish lower who are power and average.
0: Mm-hmm. So. It- Interesting there. Interesting. And a lot of the high finishing, I, I like the Fred McGriff and, and, um, who was the other one? I did a uh, camp Sean, um, Sean camp. Yeah. Sean camp, right. Am I mixing basketball? I've been out of sports this last Matt, year. Matt Matt Kemp. Yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking basketball. I was mixing basketball. Matt yeah. Kemp. So I did a video where I was comparing him to Ted Williams. And we're just looking at the shoulder movement of, you know, in the beginning where we talk about that front shoulder starts down. And then as they go into their turn, it pops back up. And then at the end of the turn, that that same front shoulder is is down now, you know, right. at the end. So that up, down, up type of thing. And so Kemp was down, up with the front shoulder. And then he would stay up. And he would finish up here with that back shoulder would never finish down like it was supposed right. to, you know, but he was another one that was high, high finish. And it makes it hard to be able to get up on balls. Now where guys are elevating, they're, they're throwing balls 95 hundred miles an hour. How in the heck can you get yeah. to that pitch?
2: Right. And that's why I think that players should really consider, you know, it's easy to hit off BP and off 60 mile an hour pitching. It's one thing to perform. Mm-hmm. But in game speeds, what the, see, the other advantage of during game speeds of having a swing that doesn't move up so much in the out front in your swing is that think about on the curveball. Mm-hmm. The curveball, you're fooled. Your butt goes out. Mm-hmm. Everybody rolls over curveballs. Mm-hmm. But some people roll over curveballs a lot less. Mm-hmm. And those guys are usually guys that finish lower. Yeah. So, you know, the more your butt's moving vertically through the zone out in front, Okay, once in a while you're gonna catch a, a pitch way out there and hit it really far because you have such a launch angle on it. But what being reliable hitter for your team
0: mm-hmm.
2: is other you know, you have to do other things. You have to be able to not to not roll over balls sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, and, and think reliable. about reliable. Right. And think about the big leagues, and we can we can in on in on this, um, and we'll see where people can can find you. But if you think about the 95 mile an hour fastball, or 90 95 is traveling down at about five degrees, right? And if you have a 15 degree attack angle, right? Those don't match up. Those don't parallel. So you're you only got one shot. So that timing better be perfect. And then right. if if they're locating, I, I think Perry said this. Uh, if they're locating that same 90 95 plus up in the zone instead of five degrees down, it's three so now the same 15 degree doesn't play again if you want to bring the the strikeouts down and you want to keep the batting average up
2: yeah there's no margin for error that way I mean I think Barry Bonds did it in a way where he swung the bat hard enough to hit home runs when he didn't hit them perfect Mm -hmm. and I think that should be the goal swing Mm -hmm. the bat hard enough that you don't have to hit it with a perfect launch angle right Mm -hmm. so you can hit a home run Mm -hmm. be able to you don't know, have a, a little bit flatter swing with enough bat speed to hit home
0: runs all over the place. Right. Fat on fat, right. Fat of the barrel and the fat of the ball.
2: Yeah. 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 And being very... a reliable hitter. I think being reliable is underrated. People <laughs> want a player on your team. That's reliable. They don't want somebody <laughs> who's strike out a home run. Just a <laughs> oh my it's God. A bummer.
0: Those high school coaches. I'll tell you what, that is their mantra. They hate, I mean, not all of them but a majority of them from my hitters. And and again, we don't teach a launch angle swing in the sense that they, that these coaches hate, but because a launch angle is just a metric. It's just a number. And it's based on, we, we base ours our main 20% on the 10 to 15 degree launch. So that ball that we call it hitting back through the tube. So if the pitcher throws a ball through the tube to the catcher, that they're hitting that ball right back through that tube, whatever height it is, right? So that's the tube. That's our main thing. And if we miss a little below the ball or a little bit above, we'll get that hard one hopper through the infield, or we'll get that dinger and double. We'll turn that 10, 15 degree into a 20 to 25. But our goal is not to do that, right? Right, right. Yeah. You, don't,
2: you don't optimize your swing for distance. You optimize for the most power you can have, most doubles, most home runs
0: exactly not the
2: furthest home run you can hit
0: right right exactly home
2: run derby ball
0: (laughs) which has its place and we do that we do that it has its place but but not not for game game swings right competing swings all right kyle well hey i want to be respectful of your time i know this is probably uh towards the end of your day here so where can people find you to get more information and i and i totally encourage people to go check you out
2: you know what i'm really i'm i'm on twitter a little bit i'm really not on as much as possible but i would say go to your site I think I learned, I learned, I would say your site's going to offer more information. I like, I like talking about baseball and, uh, having talking to you guys that are really knowledgeable, like Welsh and yourself and, Mm -hmm. and our Steven's hitting coach, Jim Shepard. Uh, he's awesome. Like you need, you need a bunch, you need guys with different ideas that are willing to discuss things and, uh, and figure things out.
0: You need a village. You need uh, what we say yeah. critical thinking, and you're a critical yes. thinking dad. And if it's one piece of advice I want for parents listening out there, uh, that you can learn from Kyle is to be a critical thinking dad. So, hey, I'm fine with my players asking me questions. I'm fine with parents even bowing up and saying, "Well, I don't think this works." And I mean, you better bring better data and and case studies and things like that if you're going to do that, because I'm going to we're going to go into a dialogue and that kind of thing. But I, I welcome that. I, I want people to bring that kind of stuff in, but uh, Kyle's great. Uh, one of, one of my dads, again, critical thinking. And, um, thank you again for your time, brother. I know you're, you're hardworking thanks, dude. And, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll do uh, take three, take four sometime in the future, but, but thanks for your time there, Kyle.
2: You got it. Can't wait.
0: All right, brother.
2: Thanks, Joe.
0: Take care.